Some of you do come prepared. I, I know this. That. Last night somebody was, all I could see was their little face because they were covered up completely. All right. <laughs> Such a blessing to have you here this morning. Would you please turn to John chapter 5? John chapter 5. Father, we pray that your spirit would fall upon us and grant us, Lord, today your wisdom and understanding of your word. Not that we might just hear it, receive it, but, Lord, that it would do its work in us the work of instruction, the work of strengthening, the work of healing, the work of maturing and of growing, and the work of stirring our hearts to those things that you've called us all to be and to do. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Everything in chapter 5 of the Gospel of John revolves around the incident that took place at the Pool of Bethesda, where Jesus went and healed a man who had been lame for 38 years. But the problem that arose from that, which you would say, was it, well, isn't that a good thing that this man was healed? Yes, it was a good thing because he was healed by the Messiah himself. But the dilemma arises because the Jewish religious leaders, first of all, accused the man who had been lame for 38 years, lying on a stinky little bed, for that long, now is risen, is walking and carrying his bed, as Jesus had commanded him to do, rise, take up your bed and walk. And now he's being told that he's broken the Sabbath law for working. He hasn't worked in 38 years. One day he works, he's in trouble. But then they said, who did this? And the man at first didn't know, but then he met Jesus at the temple. And when confronted again, he said, it was Jesus who healed me. It was Jesus who... changed me. And so they confronted Jesus about breaking the Sabbath law. They confronted the Lord of the Sabbath about breaking the Sabbath law. Who do you think understood the law better? <laughs> But then, in his refuting them, he made a statement. My father worketh hitherto, and I work. My father, he said. And they said, blasphemy. So already in just a, a short day, Jesus now has strike two against him. And so in the last couple of, last couple of 
of studies that we've had, we've looked at the claims that Jesus was making to assure them and us that he had every right to do what he did because he was claiming equality with God. And not only did he claim equality with God, but he, he, he made clear the proofs of that equality in that he had power over life and he was given the authority to judge. And quite simply, this was then the foundation of his testimony. The testimony that he's giving of himself. But it doesn't stop there. And Jesus, from verses 28 down through about verse 30, he makes comment about the very fact that he has power to raise the dead. But he makes a comment that I want to deal with here shortly as he goes on in testifying of himself and also showing other witnesses to his position, to his being Messiah. So that's where we are here. I want to start in verse 28. And once again, I'd like to ask if you'll knock this two banks of lights right here. All right, thank you. Those have to be off all the time. Marvel not, Jesus said, at this. Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. I can of mine own self do nothing as I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will but the will of the Father which has sent me. Now we're going to read on to, through the passage that we're going to look at today. Jesus goes on to say, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Very interesting statement. There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You sent unto John, speaking of John the Baptist, you sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony from man. But these things I say that you might be saved. He, speaking of John, was a burning and shining light. And you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself which has sent me has borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. And you have not his word abiding in you. For whom he has sent, him you believe not. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And again, before we press on in, into the portion of the scripture that that Jesus speaks of concerning his testimony. I wanted to clear up any misunderstandings dealing with the statement of Jesus in verse 29, where the Lord says, They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of 
damnation. Now, here are some questions that we need to ask in understanding that statement. Who are those who have done good? Or literally, those who have practiced good? What was it that the Lord meant by that statement when He says, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life? Because you see, a lot of people would say, well, that is kind of what I thought it was that God does. He weighs our good against our bad, and if we have more good, then you know, that's how we're saved. But we know that that's not true. We know that that's not biblical. I mean, if it was a matter of weighing our good against our evil, I mean, that might work in Islam, but it doesn't work in Christianity. It doesn't work in Judeo-Christianity. So the question that needs to be asked and answered is this. Are we saved because of our goodness? So you see, we, we know very well from, the, from other scriptures that our salvation is not based on any merit of our own. In other words, salvation is not based on human merit. Period. The end. Salvation is not based on human merit. Because I want you to remember the words of the Apostle Paul. If, if you will, for just a moment, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And again, I just want to clear this up before we move on. And, and by the way, we'll have time to do it. But in Ephesians chapter 2, a chapter that begins with Paul making a statement that says, And you has he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. In other words, you he has quickened. You, he's made alive you and your trespasses who were dead in trespasses and sin, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, uh, the spirit that now works in the, the children of disobedience. And uh, so he talks about all of the, the sin upon which we lived and in, in which we lived. Verse 4, he says, But God who is rich in mercy, he says, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us or made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. So that's, that's kind of introductory to the expansion of that understanding when he gets to verse 8. And that's where I want you to see in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 where Paul says, For by grace are you saved through faith. You notice that? Not by works, by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. What is grace? Undeserved favor. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that, not, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. In that one verse alone, it tells us already, it isn't anything that we do. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. But now, the expansion of that thought in verse 9. Not of works, lest anyone should boast, or lest any man should boast. Not of works. Keep your finger there. Because we're going to come back to verse 10 in just a moment. And again, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, a very crucial doctrinal statement about our salvation. In Romans 4, verse 4, Paul says, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. In other words, many people think that, you know, the the only way to pay off the the debt of sin is to do the work themselves. And again, trying to pile on good things to do to pay a debt. By the way, who paid the debt for us already? Jesus. Where? At the cross. With what? His blood. So in verse 5 he says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly. Faith comes back into the picture. Faith and trust. Complete dependency 
upon the work of God through Christ. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. We have seen in our study of the Gospel of John from the very beginning that faith is at the very center of the message of salvation, trusting and believing in Jesus Christ. What we have to remember is that there is no contradiction here. When Jesus said, those who do good unto the resurrection of life. There is no contradiction here for the minute a sinner believes. Listen, the minute a sinner believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a change. The very moment that a person believes with all of his heart, and as Paul says in Romans 10, confesses with his mouth the Lord Jesus and believes in his heart that he's risen from the dead, he will be saved. So this is the doctrine of salvation in the Scriptures. So what we're seeing here is that this is, an, is the outward sign that they are now a new creation in Christ. For example, second, uh, well, I say Second uh, Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You see, at one point in time, we didn't know, and then all of a sudden we knew. At one time we were blind, now we can see. At one point in time, things did not make sense as we read the Bible, but then before we knew it, we, be, we began to understand and know. So going back to Ephesians now, remember what, he, what Paul had said. You are saved, or, or by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Look at the next verse, verse 10. For we are his workmanship. We are his poema, P-O-E-M-A, from which we get the word poem. We are his workmanship. We are his poems. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto what? Unto good works. Unto good works. The good works are those outward signs. The good works come from our coming to Christ, not bringing us to Christ. Works don't bring us to Christ. Works are what we produce because of Christ in us. So we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. And before we move on, we do need to remember something that Jesus said, and it's something in the next chapter, chapter 6, that He mentions. But I have to mention it here to tie that into this, again, particular thought to clarify verse 29 again. And that is this. It's actually John 6, 29. I, I like the fact that we can, we can use numbers to keep all of that straightened out in our heads. But in John tw- uh, 6, 29, Jesus, uh, Jesus answers when, when, when uh, people came to him and said, what, what must we do to do the works of God? You know, in other words, the idea was still in their heads that they had to do things. And this is what Jesus tells them. This is the work of God, he said, that you believe on him whom he sent. Comes back to faith. Y'all got that? Y'all see what we're talking about. They want to do works, and he says, yeah, the work of God is this, that you believe on him whom he has sent. Faith, complete trust, putting your full weight of dependency upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what Jesus meant when he said the good. They that are good, they that have already believed, 
Not good because they're working their way to heaven. Good because they have already believed in the Messiah, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, that's the clarification. All right, let's move on now. So as we prepare now to look into the testimony that Jesus gives of himself to the religious leaders of his day who were convinced that he was a lawbreaker and a blasphemer, let's remember that the Lord has already made clear proof claims that he is not only the Son of God, in other words, there's equality with God in Jesus, there is ability to give life in Jesus, there is authority to judge the living and the dead in Jesus. So he's not only the Son of God, he is also the Son of Man. And that came up last time. And remember that the, son of, the, the phrase, the Son of Man, is actually a messianic title. It is a messianic title. It is not just a, a simple phrase. It is something that is, that is used directly for the Mashiach of Israel, the Messiah of Israel. So he was, in fact, the Messiah who did nothing of himself, nothing self-determined. Now, why do I say that? Because, first of all, Jesus said it, but we need to understand why. When you turn to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9... And you can do that. Everybody awake this morning? All right. We're doing our biblical calisthenics. We're turning in our Bibles. I got to hear it. No, no, I got to hear the Bibles turning. See, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Listen to what Paul says. He says, though he were a son, notice, a son. Yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Jesus did something the Father would never do or could never do. Because the Father didn't have to learn obedience. He was God. He was the Creator God. He was the Almighty God. He is the Eternal God. God does not have to learn obedience, but Jesus, as a son, learned obedience by the things which he suffered. The next verse says this, and being made perfect, which means being made complete in the sense of what he came to do as the Messiah. Not that he wasn't perfect when he started, he was perfect when he started. Perfect in perfection, but moving toward completion or completeness. He became uh, the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. Something that is not or someone that is not eternal cannot give eternal salvation. Do you all understand that? Alright, so this is again another clear doctrinal point that we need to remember. Being made perfect because He took on Himself flesh, voluntarily came down here, put flesh on Himself on our behalf, yet he remained perfect without sin and became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. So as the Son of Man, Jesus was God behaving as man. Now let that sink in for just a moment. Jesus was God behaving as man, a perfect man, a complete man, a whole man, complete in all the things that he needed to be to fulfill what he came to do on our behalf. 
He learned as man to obey God in order to demonstrate to man the truth about man. And what is that? The truth is that man can do nothing without God. And if we see it in Jesus, who is the Son, who is perfect, and did not have to do it, but did it on our behalf again, then what are we to do? The very same thing. Because man can do nothing without God. So what we find here in in John chapter 5 is not only a refutation, a refuting of, of the claims or the the, uh, the um, uh, accusations of the religious leaders against Jesus, we are actually looking at an autobiographical testimony of Yeshua, of Jesus. This is an biogra- autobiographical testimony of Jesus. And what he says is, and we've already heard him say this in the text, he did not seek his own but only the will of the Father who sent him into this world. He did not seek his own. What did Jesus say? As I hear, I judge. As I hear, I judge. He's not self-determined. He has lowered himself to obey the Father so that we would obey the Father. His judgment is identical with the judgment of God. Whatever the judgment of God is, it is the same judgment that Jesus would have. And His judgment is flawless. No flaws in the judgment of God. No flaws in the judgment of Christ. His judgment is omniscient, which means it is based on His knowing everything. He is all-knowing, and His judgment is just. He is always just. There is never any unjust ruling or judgment that comes from God, the Father, or Jesus, the Son. But He mentions another testimony. See, that's His testimony. But he mentions another testimony. Look at verses 31 and 32. And and, and again, I say this because of this interesting verse of Scripture here. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Now, don't get too hung up on that, okay, so you can understand what he's saying. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another that bears witness of me. Now, focus on that word another. You see that? You all see the word another? You you circle that word in your Bible and you you highlight it and put arrows at it. Okay? There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. Now, the Greek word for another is the word alos, A-L-L-O-S, alos which specifies another of the same kind. You see, in the Greek language, there are various words for the English word another. It's just like another, but not the same. It's just another thing. But this word actually means another of the exact same kind. So do you see where that's going? So uh, 
Jesus is saying that if he were simply testifying to himself, which is verse 31, if he were simply testifying to himself, his testimony would be invalid. Why? Because that's what's in the law. That's in the law. And of course, Jesus not only gave the Sabbath, he also gave the law. So a person does not witness, for example, a person does not witness his own signature. You know, nowadays, what do we need? A notary public, we need, you know, somebody else to witness our signature uh, for it to be valid in whatever situation it's being used in. The same goes for any other matter that might be legal or otherwise. A person does not witness his own signature. In fact, Jewish law required at least two witnesses for all matters. At least two witnesses. Turn, if you will, to Deuteronomy 19. For this is the foundation and basis for the statement that Jesus is making about himself. Deuteronomy 19 verse 15 says, One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin in any sin that he sinneth. One witness is not enough, in other words. At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. Why was this law in place? It was there because a person could accuse someone of doing something and be a false witness about it. And just accusing falsely, but you can't take just the word of one person. So the, the, the court would be open for other witnesses to come and say, no, this guy's wrong. And I have proof because here's two other people that witness on behalf of this person while he's witnessing against the person. So you see where two witnesses or more matter in, in many cases and in any case in, in that, uh, for that matter. So the other then, getting back to the statement of Jesus, there is another, he says, the other who would certify the testimony of the Lord Jesus was either his Father or the Holy Spirit. Because they were one as the Godhead. And Jesus is part of that. Because when Jesus said, and if you look at verse 32, let me get back to John here. When you look at verse 32, and he says, There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know, notice that phrase, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. The word know there, K-N-O-W, the word no, he used the word, that was, that was the root word oida or eido for the word no. And you have to understand the difference between that word and another word in the Greek that uses the word no, you know, as far as a different word for the word, English word No. Because this word oida, or eido, speaks of absolute knowledge. Absolute knowledge. That is, that's what's being spoken of here when he says that, I know that the witness he witnesses of me is true. And that word has to be distinguished from the knowledge of experience which is usually the word in the Greek, ginosko. Ginosko. This other word deals with absolute knowledge. Now, who would have absolute knowledge of Jesus? The Father 
and the Spirit. So this here was absolute knowledge which could only come from the intimacy of the Godhead. But it is important to remember that Jesus was still refuting the claim of the religious leaders that he had profaned the Sabbath. For this he called on his Father to be his witness, but now he calls on the witness of his forerunner, John the Baptist. As we see in verses 33 through 35. Notice that Jesus says here, you sent unto John, which means you sent messengers to John. And, and if, when you read the Gospels, you realize that the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes and, and all of them sent a bunch of people to check John out. He says, you sent unto John and he bear witness unto the truth. We're going to see what the truth is in just a moment. You sent unto John and he bear witness unto the truth, but I receive not testimony from man. But these things I say, that you might be saved. Now remember, he's talking to the religious leaders. And he's concerned about their salvation. So he says, I receive not testimony from men, but these things I say. What I'm telling you in this, in this case, and in this context, I say it so that you might be saved. And then he says, of John, he was a burning and shining light, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. Now, understand this about the statement of Jesus. These religious leaders, these Jewish religious leaders were not prepared to admit the claim that God was Jesus' Father. They were not prepared to admit that. They weren't convinced. They were only more infuriated every time Jesus opened his mouth. And so the fact made no difference to them. They didn't believe it. And they wouldn't believe it. But the appeal to John the baptizer now. See, this is... Uh, Jesus was not making, uh, making any mistakes here. He knew exactly what he was saying. He laid down the witness that comes from his, uh, from his father who, who has absolute knowledge of him or, or the Spirit. And then he says, and John. And when he mentions John, they listened. They listened. Why? Because to appeal to John the baptizer was different. Because this was actually something that could be answerable. It could be answerable from John. John's impact, you see, on the nation was, was a tremendous impact. It was a remarkable impact that, that he made upon the people in Israel when he, when he came on the scene and began to preach. And they began to follow him. And people were following him. And droves were following him. And the religious leaders were coming to check him all out and see what he was saying and what he was doing. And he was staying faithful to the Word of God. He was staying faithful to, to, the, to, you know, to, the, uh, to the traditions to a certain degree. He was staying faithful to all of these things. So they were checking him out. Why is he doing this? Where did he come from? Why is he wearing those stinky clothes? And eating the funny food? Alright, so why is all this happening? They had taken note of somebody, a prophet. And you had to take care of, of your prophets. You had to, to take care to listen that they were truly a, a prophet of God. So everyone had heard him, and his message was very clear. What was his message? It was very, it was very strong and powerful. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The king is coming. 
And I've, been come, and I've come out because I'm the one that is, is letting you know I'm preparing the way. I've been called to prepare the way of the Lord. He's coming. And so repent. Turn from your ways and come back to God because the kingdom of God is near. That was the message. And thousands had responded to his message and had accepted now the baptism of repentance at his hands. John was baptizing wherever he, wherever he went mostly in the Jordan River. Sometimes he would baptize in, in regular mikvahs, which were the ceremonial baths, wherever the people were that, that, that had them, and they would use those for their ceremonial washings. But he used those always to baptize the people in repentance of their sins. And the excitement that was happening in the nation of Israel was running high, and the, Im- the imminent appearance of, of Messiah had reached a peak. But do you know why it had reached a peak? Because they were looking for a different kind of Messiah than Jesus was. They wanted this victorious military Messiah that would come and lead the people against Rome and destroy their, their captors and all. That's what they were looking for. Yet John said what? Behold, the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. That was his announcement. John 1.29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Behold him. There's your Messiah. There was no question that John was testifying to the very fact that this was indeed Messiah by the very terms that he used, the Lamb of God. From the very beginning, what was God sending from Genesis chapter 3 when he gave the promise to the woman of the seed of the woman? The Messiah. The true Lamb. What, what, what was it that God covered Adam and Eve with? The skins of lambs. There's your lamb, which means there's your Messiah. There's the seed of the woman. A few verses later, in verses 33 and 34, this is what John says himself. He says that I knew him not. Now remember, they're cousins, but they hadn't really met. But notice what he says, and I knew him not, but, but he that sent me to baptize with water, speaking of the Father, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Once again, he bears record of Jesus as the Mashiach, the Messiah. The testimony is clear. It is pure and it is right. The second witness, if they don't accept the witness of the Father or the Spirit, here's your second witness. And folks, there weren't too many people of these religious leaders at that time that wanted to, much less dare to challenge John's prophetic call being that he was considered a prophet by the majority of the nation. So John's statement and introduction of Jesus as the Messiah of Israel was a statement of fact. From a prophet of Israel. Many have called John the Baptist the last prophet of Israel. 
But the Lord added something else to the statement about John the baptizer. And this is going back to our text in verse 34 of chapter 5. There in verse 34 of chapter 5 he says, But I receive not testimony from man, but these things I say, that you might be saved. Because you see, the testimony of John the Baptist may have been adequate for his Jewish inquisitors, but the Lord had a testimony from a much higher source than that which derived from a prophet, however illustrious and illuminating as John may have been. Still, in hope of their salvation, in hope of their salvation, the Lord accepted even the lesser witness of John. He says, I share this with you, that you might be saved. Because here's the second witness to my witness of who I am. Do do you all see that? So he's accepting the lesser witness so that they would believe and be saved. And Jesus called John a burning and shining light, a lamp which the people were happy to have for a while until the lamp was extinguished by Herod. But understand this. John fulfilled his calling. John had fulfilled his calling. Whatever we see happen with Herod and all and... and, uh, Herodias and all of that that went on to his again there's no mistakes there's only what God knows and does and he fulfills as he did fulfill this ministry in John and yet still listen Jesus had another witness to his claims And that would be his fruits, his works. And he brings that up here in verse 36 of our text. But I have greater witness than that of John. I used John witness for you guys. I used it for you to to say, look, this is what he bore testimony of. But there's an even greater witness. And that is this. For the works which the Father has given me to finish... The same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And I I really find it tremendously significant that Jesus said, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, to finish. Jesus came to finish the works of God, to complete them to to the fullest. Now, I, I know that all of us here have works that we have started that we haven't finished. I, I have a long list. I could roll it out and it go past the doors, you know. Stuff that I started and I haven't finished yet. You know, just regular old things, you know, at home or wherever. Right? Am I alone? Am I the only one that... Uh, oh, good. Thank you. I'm not alone. There's others. There's five other people here haven't, fin- yeah, haven't finished those works. Yeah. Yeah. Five. Only five. All right. So, listen. Jesus finished what he came to do. 
and be thankful because if he hadn't finished what he came to do, we'd be in a lot of trouble. See, if we don't finish what we do, we might be in trouble, you know, with our spouses or we might be in trouble with somebody. But if Jesus had not finished, we'd all be in trouble. All right? So understand that. He says, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. By the way, remember the words of Jesus on the cross? He said, it is finished. So praise the Lord for that. All right. So here we go. Where are we? So let me, let's, let's, uh, what, what he's saying to them is, look, you look at the fruits. You look at the fruits of my life and of my ministry. Look at them. You see, because Jesus always held his works or his fruits up before these people for close scrutiny, for close examination, for close inspection. He had it out there for everyone to see. He didn't hold back. He didn't do things in secret to say, listen, come over here because I don't want the Pharisees to see this. No, he did everything in the open for the most part. There were a couple of times when he didn't, but most of the time he did always holding it up for them to see it, to scrutinize, to examine, to inspect. The usage of the phrase, the works, which is used throughout the Gospel of John to represent both the natural and the supernatural in the life of Jesus Christ. The usage of that phrase and the goal of that phrase was and is the demonstration of deity in humanity. Deity in humanity. The works. I know that if I say the works right now at this time, some of you are thinking, you know, give me that, give me that uh, breakfast, brunch, the works. You know, everything in it. Right? Or maybe a little later on, go to Papa Burger, man, and say, give me the works, man. Just get, put everything in there three times over. Right? Am I making anybody hungry yet? All right. Not quite. All right. The many works of Jesus were all part of one work he came to do. The many works of Jesus were all part of one work that he came to do. Consider that when Jesus was about to heal a blind man, And his disciples asked whether it was his sins or the sins of his parents that he was born blind. Just turn over to chapter 9 for just a moment. And they're asking Jesus this question. Is he blind because of his sin or the sins of his parents? And notice what Jesus said. In John 9 verse 3, Jesus answered and he said, Neither. Hath this man sinned? In other words, yeah, he's a sinner, but he hasn't sinned, and that that sin was not what caused him to be blind. Nor his parents. But that the works of God, the ergon, E-R-G-O-N, the ergon of God, the works of God should be made manifest in him. And Jesus proceeds to heal him of his blindness. But, but notice what he said. But it wasn't that the man sinned or his parents. It was so that the works of God should 
be made manifest in him. Now follow along because there's a number of these verses of Scripture, especially in the Gospel of John. For example, John 10, 24, the next chapter. Then came the Jews round about him, and they said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? Now think about that question for just a moment. How long do you make us to doubt? Now what has Jesus been doing all along? Doing things for them to realize who he was. And then they say, Why are you doing the things to make us doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Hello? Haven't I been doing this all along? And Jesus answered them. I wish he had said that. But Jesus answered them and told, uh, he says, I told you. Now see, I love that phrase. He says, I told you already. Ya te dije. Que pues. Orale. Right? No, he didn't say those things, but when he says, I told you, and you believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. They're bearing witness of me. They're my witness of who I am and what I am. John 10.32, a few verses later, Jesus answered that many good works have I showed you from my Father. And listen to this question. For which of those works do you stone me? For, what, for those works that came from my Father, from your God, for which of them do you stone me? Go down a few verses later to John 10, verse 37. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. If I don't do the works of the Father, don't believe me. If I don't do those works, don't believe me. You, do you see what he's saying? If I don't do them, don't believe me. But if I do, though you believe not me, believe the works. Believe what has been done. That would have applied all the way back to this chapter here in chapter 5, where he heals this man of 38 years, you know, being lame for 38 years, and heals him and he walks. You don't believe me, that's, 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 you know, that's your problem. But he says, but believe the work. You know that they did not believe the work? How do you negate this great miracle of a man walking around with his bed who has been healed after 38 years of not walking? And everybody knew it. But if I do, though you believe not me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him, so that you will come to grips with the very fact that what testimony I am giving you is in fact true. And there are a few more mentioned in the Gospel of John, but suffice it to say that all the works, all the ergon, added up to an impressive proof that he had been sent into this world by the Father, not born into this world like everybody else. In this course of his earthly ministry, Jesus exhibited his divine power over the elements, 
He exhibited his power over inanimate objects and the ordinary forces of nature. He exhibited his power over demons and disease and even over death itself. The raising of Lazarus, the raising of a young girl. And because of this exhibition of his power, unbelief, and listen carefully, unbelief was totally and utterly without excuse. Unbelief was totally and utterly without excuse. Why? When people see our lives and the fruit of our lives as believers in Jesus Christ, do people still not believe? And the, and the Lord added a word about his works. He said, they come from his Father. They come from the very God that they say they worshipped. He says, well, those are the works that I do. They come from him. But you don't believe. Notice verses 37 and 38, And the Father himself which has sent me, Jesus said, has borne witness of me. The Father has borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. Now that, of course, was true in a lot of ways for everyone. Well, I'll, I'll clarify that in a moment. And you have not his word abiding in you. Listen to this indictment that Jesus gives them. And you have not his word abiding in you for whom he has sent him. You believe not. You see, the Lord never failed to bring the Father into the picture. The Lord never failed to bring the Father into, in, into the picture. Jesus boldly said to the religious leaders that they did not know his Father. They did not know the God that they claimed to serve, that they claimed to worship, that they claimed to offer sacrifices to. They had not heard his voice at any time. And again, Jesus could, could be right in, in, in a very general sense. But wait a minute. John the Baptist heard his voice. John heard the voice when he baptized Jesus, when Jesus came to him. By the way, Jesus didn't come to John to be baptized because he needed to be baptized. He came to be baptized so he could show how he was going to serve us by dying and rising again from the dead. Going into the water was death. Coming out of the water is life. But John heard the voice. What was it that God said there in the presence when the, the dove descended upon Jesus? This is my beloved Son of whom I am well pleased. 
The religious leaders were so caught up in their rites and in their rituals, yet were strangers to the truth of the Word of God. They were strangers to the truth. Folks, I don't want you to be strangers to the truth of the Word of God about Jesus Christ. Because the truth embodies Jesus. How many people today are failing to hear, failing to see, failing to understand God's Word today? The Word that reveals the works of the living Christ simply because they're so wrapped up in their traditions, so wrapped up in their denominations and their demented doctrines. And folks, doctrines have have diminished and and demented in great portions today because they are not based upon the Word of God. Getting back to the religious leaders of the Jews, they didn't like what Jesus had said. But it had to be said. And even more, as we shall continue to see in, the, in this chapter. But Jesus lay bare their blindness, He lay bare their unbelief, and He exposed their foolishness. And Jesus continues to do that today. Folks, when Jesus exposes your foolishness, it's time to say, Father, forgive me. It's time to give up the charade as if to say that we know more than God knows. And it's time to say, Lord, change my heart, change my life right now. And bring me back to your truth. More people today need to come back to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know where they get these ideas other than the fact that they can only come from the enemy who who seeks to change so much in the church so that man will be weak in his faith and not strong in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We are strong in the Lord when we stand upon his word and with His Spirit. And we worship Him in spirit and in truth. Well, the next next verse will be where we will begin next time to continue. And it's kind of uh, that verse where we can stop, but we can also pick up from here. And that's verse 39. And I want you to notice again what what, what Jesus says to these leaders. He says, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. Whoa! That's... That's an awakener this morning. Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Here's another witness. We're going to pick up on this witness next time. But I want to leave you. I know that I was saying this is the last verse, but I've got one more verse. Pastors always have one more verse. And this, this is it. I want to take you to Matthew 17, a time when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to Mount Moriah. I'm sorry, uh, Mount, uh, oh, not Moriah, Mount Hermon, up in the northern part of Israel. Because that is what is believed to be the, the, the place where Jesus was transfigured with, with Moses and Elijah. And Peter, James, and John were able to see this. And 
for this reason, I, I share this verse of Scripture with you. Peter, when he gets there and sees this, this event taking place before his eyes, he, right away he wants to build three tabernacles. He wants to do something. <laughs> and so while he spake, it says, while he had spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud. The voice out of the cloud, of course, the Father, which said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Listen to him. Pay attention to him. Pay attention to Jesus. The Jewish religious leaders had not heard the voice of God but Peter, James, and John did. John the Baptist did. And we are given the high privilege of hearing God speak to us. Do not lessen the impact of the importance of hearing of reading, of studying the Word of God. Continue to do that. And grow more and more in love with His Word. Grow more and more in love with Jesus. Grow more and more in love with the church, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Grow more in love with the Spirit of God, grow more in love with everything that pertains to the God who gave us everything that we need for life and godliness through Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity that you've given us and to give us each and every week to examine your word, to read it, to study it, to learn from it, to grow in it, and to continue in it. I pray, Father, that you will strengthen the hearts and the minds of all who are here. But for those who regularly come, for those who are guests and have come for the first time, for others who are just beginning to start coming, Lord, for each and every one of us, we stand before you this day. Our hearts needing, Lord, to be moved by your Spirit, moved by your Word, instructed by the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us in understanding all of these things today. Fill our hearts, O God, with your mercies, with your grace, with your wisdom, with your understanding. Fill us, Lord, to overflowing with everything that we might always realize and know that the works that you have done have indeed already been completed because you said it is finished on the cross. And because of that, Lord, we want to continue to fulfill our ministries because you began a work in us and we will be able to complete it unto the day of Christ as we allow you, Lord, full reign to our hearts. So we do so now. In Jesus' name, amen.
and amen. Shall we stand?